Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we have a just wonderful, wonderful guest with us today. We have Amy Smith, Chief Giving Officer from Tom's. So welcome, Amy, to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Amy, we're, we're super glad to have you. I have to tell you, every, you know, every other week or so, I get to do this with one of my favorite people. And today I get to do it with two of my favorite people. It's a delight. And we are on the cusp that Tom's has donated, obviously more than shoes, but you're on the cusp of almost getting to 100 million shoes donated. And and that's extraordinary, Amy. And, and so we're going to talk today with Amy about the whole history of Tom's. And and, and Amy is, um, she's fairly new to Tom's. Um, Amy, but you've had, your background is so great for this kind of work. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you worked at Points of Light and Apple and how now this is, could be the job of your dreams? It definitely is a dream job. It has been, uh, I've been with Tom's for um, nearly four years now uh, and had just an amazing journey in that four years. But leading up to it, you know, my experiences at both Apple and Points of Light really, really taught me a lot about kind of bringing the world of purpose and of profit together into one role. So, uh, you know, I have had the lucky opportunity to work with incredible organizations all throughout the stages of my career and learn a lot along the way. Um, I'll age myself a little by, you know, saying I was at Apple during a very tumultuous time for the company, um, which has not been the case for many, many years. But, you know, it really taught me that the only constant is change, that you shouldn't be afraid Mm -hmm. to take on something you don't know exactly how to do, and that there's a ton of opportunity in difficult times. And that was early in my career. And I was able to sort of take those things with me into my other roles that I've had, um, where, you know, I went into Points of Light, it was a fast growing organization, they were going through a merger. And with that change came a a ton of opportunity. Um, So when it was time to leave Points of Light, I knew that I was interested or ready to come back to the for-profit environment, but I knew it couldn't just be anywhere. Uh, After having that experience of points of light and learning about, you know, the power of nonprofits and the change they're trying to make in the world. And so, you know, Carol, to your point, this really has been a dream come true for me in bringing that experience uh, of my for-profit kind of entrepreneurial spirit that Apple is known for and this really compelling nonprofit that, you know, is trying to get the world to engage in volunteer service uh, together in this role at Tom's. So it's a very, very exciting role. And, you know, in Tom's Global Impact Report, which we suggest that any of our listeners um, read it, we're going to put it in our show notes, notes, a link. You're called a rebel optimist. And so can you expand upon that a bit now that you've been at Tom's for four years? Which of those, you know, parts are you really playing to? The rebel, the optimist, both sides? Yeah, it's such a great question and such a a fun way to think about kind of all of us in this work, right? I sort of, I try to represent uh, or be part of a community that are rebel optimists, if you will. So I've always been kind of a half glass full person. I feel lucky to see the world that way. I think it's pretty easy to not see the world that way. Uh, And so... Um, you know, I, to be honest and, and sort of vulnerable for a second, like I feel really tired when I'm being negative or seeing 
uh, all the challenges of the world in a negative way. And so my natural stance is to be optimistic and to think that there is possibility even in the toughest of times. Um, but I'm also not afraid to push, kind of push myself, mm. push ideas, um, push thinking a little bit. And so I'm always interested in thinking about, is there another better, different way of doing things? Uh, I, and I'm kind of not afraid to shake it up. So I'm, I'm candid and honest, but always, uh, always hopeful. Um, and so maybe that's rebellious, but it's definitely optimistic. Uh, and, and, and I think that that's a wonderful, wonderful response. Um, let's go down memory lane. Um, let's talk about the one for one model and um, how Tom's invented that. And and I guess, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery there. We heard that there are over a thousand, maybe over 1500 now similar one for one models. But it came out of Tom's. It was pioneering. And I know Chris and I have debated this this idea many, many times. So tell us about how it was founded and then how you keep it fresh. Such a great question and one that, you know, especially the fresh part we're always thinking about. So um, Blake Mykoski is our founder uh, and he, by um, just by nature, is a serial entrepreneur. He's always thinking about how can we do things differently? How can we do things better? Uh, and he happened to be in Argentina traveling and saw a need. Um, and had the first thought, I think we all have, I should make a donation. I should come back and get my friends to, to donate and we'll send some shoes over. He saw children without shoes. Uh, and that was a little bit surprising to him. Uh, and so he kind of thought through that and, um, decided that, you know, yes, that would be great. And he would feel really good about donating some shoes and getting his friends to do so, but that, that maybe wasn't a sustainable way to help. Uh, and he had seen the Alpergata, which is a um, very uh, distinct shoe that um, was very popular in Argentina at the time. And so he thought, well, gosh, if I bring this very cool shoe style back to the United States and I figure out a way to um, make this shoe, sell it. And for everyone I sell, I'll give one away. That's a much more sustainable model. And honestly, one for one was born. I don't think Blake ever, um, you know, in his wildest of dreams, imagined that we would have inspired hundreds, maybe even thousands of companies uh, to think about um, what their social impact can be and how it can be part of their overall business. But he certainly did that. So uh, that's that is like the beginning story of it all. You know, I think uh, baking in purpose to the DNA of your company is a critical part of making a model like this actually work over the long term. And that your impact strategy has to be on equal footing with your financial bottom line. Uh, yeah. What you decide to do has to be sustainable for the business, for your partners, and for the impact you're trying to have. That's how it all got started. Um, I can talk a little bit about how things have evolved, certainly since I've been here and over the over the 13 years. Yeah, that'd be great, because I think, you know, you talk about whether it's water, coffee, backpacks, um, vision, eyewear, solar lights and such. Um, it, I think our listeners are going, I think they'd like to know, one, how did you evolve it? Did you have to fight to stick with a one for one model? Because often you've got other people going, nah, 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 we're, it's over. Let's do something else. So those two questions right now. After 13 years and nearly 100 million pairs of shoes given, which we're super proud about, it is time for us to evolve. And we've been thinking about that. And that evolution is, especially it, when you have a, an entrepreneurial spirit as a company, has been part of how we have thought about our evolution. And so um, early on, it was adding new products and new gives to the one-for-one -one model, to your point you know, coffee gave clean water and eyewear gave sight uh, and backpacks helped um, stop bullying in schools. And so there was a lot of that. And I think for, for a while, um, the aspiration was to add a new product and a new give on an annualized basis. Uh, and so that was kind of the idea every year-ish. Uh, and it was a really great idea, but it was definitely difficult to, to manage and navigate, right? The more things you're doing, the more um, complex your systems are. Selling coffee and selling shoes require very different supply chain and distribution and storage and inventory management and marketing, all those things you can think of. 
And so as that product lines started to expand, we started to actually think about, gosh, maybe we want to narrow this back down a little bit. And maybe we want to be really great at beautiful shoes and amazing eyewear and back off some of those other products. So it was a, it was definitely a difficult business decision, but we think the right one as we were grounded in, in doing the best possible one-for-one giving we could do. That was kind of the evolution over the one-for-one time. You know, most recently, our evolution has really been about expanding how we give, which has been really big and scary, but really, mm. really exciting to think about how we can provide impact or focus on impact in a way that goes beyond one-for-one has been something that we're really excited about and really been um, giving great thought to. So shoes are a powerful tool for creating change and creating great impact. And we will continue to give shoes, but we're expanding the way we give into um, grant investments. Uh, And so that is providing us both focus and flexibility in the Mm -hmm. way that we give to really focus on some new issue areas. One of the things that comes up time and again on these calls that I think you can speak to is carrying the authenticity with you as well as the innovation, right? You, you've you've got the innovation story down pat so far. Um, and I want to just talk about in that evolution, when Tom's gets pushback, as you did, you know, early on for, you know, was the one-to-one model really good? Was it really effective? A, a lot of times as you're trying to have positive impact, you get pushback from other people in the community that are, uh, you know, you know, they want it to be a hundred percent pure, a hundred percent good. Mm. Can you can you talk about navigating that a little bit? I think our our goal has always been to listen to any and all feedback and criticism, right? And I have a I have sort of a philosophy of, um, I I think you should definitely build a smart strategy, and you should definitely think about what you're doing, and you should definitely try to do best in class giving, and and we do those things, and we can talk about how. Um, but I think waiting until you have everything figured out is probably, mm. you'll probably be waiting forever, right? So, uh, because that's just not how the world works anymore. So um, we really have listened to the feedback, listened to the critics. We've, we've gone back and sort of said, okay, if, this, if we're hearing this, let's really, first of all, do we believe that that's true? Uh, and if if yes, great. What do we need to do to evolve or change, right? So we're having a negative. We've heard there's, you know, there's no shortage of criticism for, for being in the purpose space in general, not just for Tom's, but for everyone, um, that we might be having a negative impact on local communities, right, through our mm-hmm. shoe giving. And so instead of just saying, no, 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 that's not true, you know, we, we commissioned a study to say, great, let's let's actually test that idea and let's see if that's true. Um, and so we went so through that hard. process. Yeah. A while ago, it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was, um, five or six years ago now went through that process and found through the study that we actually at the volume we're giving and the way that we're giving do not have a negative impact on local economies and local shoemakers. And so that was something that was a relief for us. We chose not to sort of like shout it from the mountaintops, like, see, we told you, this isn't, this isn't a negative part of what we're doing. We just said, let's continue to hear the feedback. Let's continue to address that feedback for being a best in class, uh, a giving organization. That, that's amazing that you didn't want to push it out. Didn't you have, I bet you must've had some very, I know you weren't there at the time, but there must have been some vigorous debate about, okay, we've got this study and it's with a reputable group. We should release it to the press massively. How, did, how was that restrained? Yeah, I actually wasn't here during that time. What I can tell you since then, though, is, you know, we are always in the spirit of learning and doing better. And mm. so that study, we may have said, yes, there isn't a negative impact. But the next thing someone might be bringing us feedback on would have a negative impact, and we would want to nece- we would want to sort of use the same process to better understand the impact that we're having. You know, the other thing that we do a good bit is build very deep relationships with our partners. So mm-hmm. it, we we really try to keep to treat our giving partners like customers. Uh, we really try to understand what do they need, 
And so for shoes specifically, we'll just stay on shoes for a second. You know, we've co-designed four different silhouettes with our giving partners to meet their needs. I I thought that was really, really smart. Like for the shoes for the kids to go to school or the black color that is not right in certain you know, regions of the world. Exactly. Exactly. So really understanding what they need, when they need it, how mm-hmm. they want to receive it is something that we would do for any other customer that we have. And so treating them that way really helps That's us great. develop a deeper partnership with them. Mm. We also want to make sure that they don't have any associated expenses with taking a gift in kind, a shoe, right? Mm-hmm. So we we give them um, some money on a per pair basis called the last mile contribution because they have storage expenses. They have, um, they have, uh, distribution expenses. They have to, they have to warehouse some of these things. They want to stipend their volunteers who are helping give these millions of shoes every year. And so those are things we put in place. Now those things weren't there on day one. Those were all Mm -hmm. things we learned as we went along by being really active listeners and really understanding from our partners What do they need and how can we ensure that what we're giving them is one needed, two integrated into their programs, and three, we're giving it to them in the best possible way, the way they need it and the way that it's going to be most beneficial to the programs they're integrating those shoes into. So this act of listening sounds like it is a deeply baked in value of your culture. I think certainly from the giving perspective, and I would say across the board, right? Uh, and it is in that spirit of constantly learning, constantly trying to do better uh, and and really recognizing that we're not the experts and being OK with that, right. like partnering mm-hmm. with these nonprofit organizations that are the experts. So let, let's pivot a little bit, because that's a that's a great spot there. It, when you when you're embracing other directions and realizing you're not the expert, how do you make that decision to expand the type of impact you're doing? to expand into issue advocacy. T- talk about some of the, the stuff that you've embarked on in the last couple of years. One of the biggest new areas that we have gone into is, is to join the effort in ending gun violence in, our, in the United States. Uh, and we, uh, it was a big decision, certainly for us as a, as a company. And there's, if, if, you, if you are in this space at all for a little while, one of the things that becomes kind of a common thread is there's this moment where any individual who is, is really working hard in, in this space has this kind of, that's it, no more moment, right? Mm. Uh, they, and they say, I can't stand on the sidelines any longer. And I think that moment came for Tom's after the Thousand Oaks shooting, right? It's very close to our office. It was very close to Blake, our founder's home. Uh, and so that entire decision was based on this is the right thing to do. Uh, when 100 people every day in the United States are being killed by guns, no matter, no matter your political leaning, no matter your desire to advocate one way or the other, this is just not okay and shouldn't be okay with any of us. And so that's, that's the place we grounded ourselves in, in the decision to go into that space. Um, we just realized that standing on the sidelines was really no no longer an option. And that made the decision a little bit easier to go into that space. Now, were there pros and cons? Absolutely. Uh, right. And to this point of, you know, being an active listener, you know, we kind of, some things kind of came out of a, a little bit of a formula almost came out of that process. And we can certainly talk about it more, but you know, it, in hindsight, this model that kind of came together was something we were already doing with our shoes. We just kind of hadn't put it all together in one place. And so, you know, the first is to absolutely be convicted about what you're doing, that it is the right thing for you, because I think the consumer is so smart and so savvy now, you know, they will see right through it if you are not being authentic and you are not credible. To Chris, your point that you just made, like enter humbly and surround yourself with the experts. And that is that is what we have tried to do all along. And that is certainly what we did when we entered this space. And then uh, put your money where your mouth is, right? Really make sure that you're stepping up in a way that um, is meaningful uh, and thoughtful. And and you put, uh, as I read, what, over $5 million towards this. That's correct. So we committed $5 million to organizations that are supporting ending gun violence in the United States. So really, uh, certainly a proud moment for us, a little bit of a scary moment as we as we start to dip our toe into um, something that wasn't one for one. Uh, 
uh, and uh, you know we we learned a ton in the process. And, and can you talk about something besides? I love what you said about enter humbly and surround yourself with experts. What are some of the other things that you've learned? I know that you actually almost got a million people to sign postcards, so that you're getting you know you're expanding the engagement of your customers. We did, yeah. I think. Um, so in all candor, you know, we were moving fast on this project. We came together as a board and a leadership team, uh, with Blake's advocacy to say, we need to do the right thing here. We need to enter this space. I don't know what it totally means, but I think we should go. Right. Mm. And, and so we, we did that, uh, and, and very quickly had to learn a ton about, or as much as we could about the issue. And so, you know, I gathered my team. We were in this little room and we were basically on the phone for, I don't know, 10 days talking to anybody and everyone who would talk to us about this issue. We were very committed to supporting organizations across the continuum of ending gun violence. In our learning process, we quickly learned uh, that although mass shootings are uh, obviously horrible, they've brought a ton of broad attention to this issue but they're less than 1% of the violence. So as we were talking to people, we knew that we had to do more than just support organizations mm. that were focused on the mass shooting piece. And so that was a huge learning for us. We also knew that uh, we wanted to support organizations along that continuum, well-established larger organizations that actually yeah. were lending a bit of credibility to us as we mm-hmm. entered this space. And smaller grassroots organizations, you know, organizations like, yeah, like the um, Black and Brown Gun Violence Prevention Consortium. These individuals have been working on uh, what what they coin as everyday gun violence for 25 years. Wow. Uh, and so this is not new for them. And so to bring all of these people together and have and we, we use them for everything. They were our, they were truly our partners, our consultants from day one, advising us on everything from using the right language to understanding the history to learning the statistics. Uh, and yes, we fund them, but they mm-hmm. truly are partners in navigating this space. So, so I'm just curious. I have this vision of this war room with like all of your staff and they're on phones and they're writing things on the walls. I mean, what was it really like in this this 10 day sprint to really get smart? And then how did you share out information and quickly get to the point of how you were going to act? Yeah, it, it was kind of like that. We had like this. It was it was our little giving conference room and we have lots of beautiful, inspirational pictures and, and things, uh, tokens from all of our trips. Uh, and so it was kind of an inspirational space to be in, but we just had this list on the, on the whiteboard of organizations. And each time we're on the phone with, whether it be a survivor or an organization or, uh, you know, a mom's demand action group, uh, or even another company that's been dipping their toe into this work, we, Mm. you know, they would introduce us to someone else. And we would figure out how to get on the phone with them and talk to them and Mm -hmm. learn from them. And then in that call, they would introduce us to someone else. And so, yeah, it was, we, we did start to see, uh, kind of themes pull and I was sort of by, by like eight day, eight or nine in this sprint. And we're still learning and we're still talking to lots of partners, but the first time I heard someone recommend someone we'd already talked to, I'm like, great, we're making progress, right? So, because we were, we like, we had come full circle to someone saying, oh, have you talked you to so and so yet? And I was like, yes, we have. You know, it was like this really great moment of like, okay, we might be getting our arms around the basics, the basics. And the people that we were talking to and, you know, calling back and texting almost in the middle of the night to say, hey, we really want to, we want to say this correctly, or we want to use the right language, or we want to reference this in the right way. Uh, They were always there to sort of say, yep, you got it right. Or, hey, I would think about this a little bit differently. Uh, Really true partnership. And so once we kind of got through that, we felt like, uh, okay, we need to, we need to make sure our staff understands what's going on. And I would say, you know, in hindsight, for me, I think I, underestimated a little bit the importance of regular, very regular updates to our staff Mm. to let them know what was going on, right? We were known as this one-for-one shoe company. We've decided to make this really big step into into this other space. 
Uh, and, and so we want, we wanted to, and needed to bring them along. Once we decided to engage our community of supporters, which you referenced sort of the, uh, nearly a million people who signed a postcard, it became so evident. Like I was, I really thought, okay, like let's add this thing to the website, but people are probably not going to do it. Like we'll get a couple thousand people. It'll be great. Um, and you know, nearly a million people came and said, "Yes, we care about a universal background check, um, mm-hmm. and we are here to sign this postcard and to be part of this movement movement to let the House of Representatives know we want them to pass this legislation." That was another really big, like, you know, I don't know if we were dipping our toe or or stepping our whole foot down into <laughs> this funny. little bit of an activist moment and to mm-hmm. to do something you know, like that was, was big for Tom's and, and pretty different from what we've done in the past. Did you get any blowback, blowback from Bain? Since at that point, Bain was at least owned 50% of you. We certainly had um, thoughtful conversation together as we were making the decision to enter the space, but they were in mm-hmm. all those conversations and they were our partners for every step of the way. That was good. Yeah. That's they surprising. asked hard questions and they, you know, certainly made us think about, uh, all the different implications, but they, they were by our side. Yeah. Did they introduce you to any of their other companies that they had, um, ownership in that might have had an interest in the gun in the in the gun violence issue? No, not to my knowledge, they did it, but that could have yeah. through Blake. He was intimately involved at okay. that time. You've got the the war room. It leads to sort of a council of partners and experts. You pull yep. that together. You've communicated out to staff. You've obviously got great feedback from not even customers necessarily, but kind of your consumer audience because you've got a million people already saying they they're interested in being part of this movement. What what does the role look like at that moment, right? A, a lot of brands, a lot of brands don't have that level of success. They certainly don't have it right off the bat, but but they're sitting in their chairs and they, they there's an issue they care about. There's a cause that concerns them, and they're wondering whether to be a funder, an advocate, a convener, a leader. Like, well, how how do you guys think through that role? And what would you recommend to others that are approaching it? We asked the, it's a theme for us. We asked the partners, what is, what is the most beneficial role to you for us to play? Mm. Um, and so many of them were just thrilled that a company was brave enough to step into this space in a really big and public way. And we learned a lot from our, from our friends over at Levi's. They had uh, already started doing this work, but, but a, a little bit quietly, Tom's was not quiet about it. And so we were able to connect with them and learn a lot about what, what they were doing. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we really went to those partners and said, you know, what, it, what are the types of things we could be doing? Where should we be supporting? How should we be showing up? How should we be talking about this? How do we not, you know, step on toes or do something that hurts or harms all the effort that you all have been making? Uh, and so we we decided to play this um, advocacy role, but we knew we weren't going to stay in that place. It wasn't like we were becoming an activist company. We had an activist moment that was relevant <laughs> and important for us to be a part of and almost felt mm-hmm. like if we if we didn't do that, um, then maybe it wouldn't be so authentic. And so we felt like that was a really important thing to do. And, you know, one of, one of the indicators that I think was really exciting in all of this that I hope we inspired a little bit of is when uh, a corporate letter was sent to the House of Representatives to urge them to pass this universal background check law. Four companies signed it. When the same request went to the Senate some six months later, over 140 companies signed it. And for me, that fe- and that was less than six months later. And for me, that feels like progress. And so yeah, I, I hope we were able to play a little bit inspiration, a lot mm-hmm. of support for the organizations that are doing this work day in and day in and day out. And a little of like, come on, guys, the water's warm. Like, let you know, <laughs> more, let's get more companies into the mix here. So, so far, we've got enter humbly and ask others where you can help the most. These are these are two really good lessons, I think. Yeah, and they're hard. Look, I, I yeah. we we did those things because they were the right thing to do. We 
I haven't talked about selling shoes one time in this project, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that was something that you, you know, you have to think about and have to consider, but we didn't do it up front. We knew this was the right thing to do. We knew our supporters, uh, the majority of our supporters would be on board with it. And we knew that uh, we could have an impact here in a meaningful way. And those well, things I'm, feel authentic to us and the right thing so to the do. The next do. thing is, is then how do you take that to scale, right? So yeah. if you're, if you're working in, whatever, 80 plus countries, and you've got a network of a couple hundred giving partners, What? how do you manage that network and then take that to scale? Yeah, I think scale is, you know, one of the trickiest parts of all of this. And one of my big dreams in the world is that us or, or, or some um, purpose-driven company truly like, you know, as part of their DNA can scale and can get really big and can, you know, maybe even go public. Uh, and so though, because I think scale is the thing we're all trying to figure out, uh, one of the many things. And so right. certainly our amazing network of giving partners, having deep relationships with them, and we've invested in a giving team. I'm very fortunate to have, you know, 10 people that have international development and public health expertise developing the projects and programs that we work on. And I think as more and more companies get serious about the scaling idea and about mm. having a really uh, meaningful role in the purpose space, they're going to have to invest in having more people on staff, not the experts, but the people who know how to navigate the nonprofit space, people who understand the issues that we're trying to address and people who can build relationships with those experts is a really important part of the scaling process. Um, we're, we're made up of multinational organizations, regional organizations, and local NGOs. Those are our partners. And we pick, try to pick the right partner in the right community at the right time with the right focus. Uh, and that doesn't happen with, you know, one person sitting in HR, this is a team of people thinking about and driving through that every day. Uh, and I think that's, you know, one of the many ways we need to think about how do we go to scale? The other is, you know, taking some chances on some bigger ideas. Uh, we can do that with the way we're able to fund where a smaller organization might have a really big idea that no one feels you know, comfortable funding or that the funder isn't comfortable with, with it failing. Uh, mm. Those are some of the things that we've decided to do uh, and seeking out uh, some midsize and smaller organizations where our investment can go further and where there is less, less downside risk of failure. So if we believe in what they're trying to learn or what they're trying to do, we might make an investment in them in a way that if it doesn't work out, we've all learned something and the next step will be that much closer to creating scalable impact. Kit, I'd, I'd love to, to thank you. This is all so profound. I'd love to pivot a bit to communications and um, investments in, um, I mean, obviously in the earliest days, one for one, it was breakthrough. It was new. You didn't need any advertising. It, it just, it you know, it just galloped along to get to people, and everybody was wearing Tom shoes. Um, you know, now there's a lot of clutter out there in terms of companies tr doing good and doing it well. What's your point of view on communications now that you're expanding to the local grants? They're they're more custom to local markets. You know, how are you getting your messages out? And how are people also, uh, that's the first part. The second part is, do they look at Tom's now as, you know, like a Patagonia-like or Unilever-like? So it's not just one for one, but it's something more. It's it's prevention of gun violence and other things. The communications thing, I think, is probably the thing that we're still navigating. And we've made some great progress in the last year or so. But let's all face it, like one for one, it's three words. It's incredibly simple. You get it right away. Uh, and so to the communications component of moving a little bit away from one for one has been probably the, the, the most scary for us. I think we feel mm -hmm. confident we can do the impact piece. We feel confident we can build deep partnerships. We feel confident we can have impact, but helping the consumer understand what the heck we're doing uh, in a really simple way is been something that we've been working really hard on. 
And so a couple things that I, I, and this is, you know, my point of view, I think we have a more savvy consumer than ever before. I think that they are paying attention to these issues. They care a lot about them. They want to shop with and uh, be brand ambassadors of companies that are doing more than just mm-hmm. selling them a beautiful shoe. Um, and so we have, we believe that they get it and that they are okay with a slightly more complicated message. We still have to get it. We still have to get it straightforward and get it easy. Um, I think that we also believe that leaning into storytelling around the people that are benefiting from the work of our giving partners and telling the stories of our giving partners directly uh, in an easy to digest way is something that we've been playing a lot with. And I think you'll see some of that coming from Tom's over the next next year or so. And, and haven't, just jumping in there, haven't, I've been at a couple of places and I don't know, it might've been in Cannes where you're using VR um, to take people on giving trips and things like that. Is that, is that, I know I saw it narrow cast. Is that going to go more broadcast and we'll see it more places? We did experiment with VR in our retail stores um, and maybe mm-hmm. in some of our wholesale partners. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but uh, a VR experience in store where you can, you can be part of a giving trip and you can see mm-hmm. our giving firsthand and you can you know, look around and see the landscape and meet the partner and see how shoes are given uh, in a, in a virtual way. So we are, we are experimenting with things like that all the time. Uh, and really thinking about how do we bring the story to people and how do we ensure that they remember or that we remind them that none of this happens without them. None of this is possible without their purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so creating that connection for them to the great work of their impact is something that we want to do more and more. And it's really, tr- you know, being better and better storytellers uh, and, and mixing that with the impact you know, you mentioned the impact report and we, we want people to go and understand the impact that Tom's is having in a really sort of numbers way. Um, but, you know, it's a 85 page downloadable report. Um, I think, you know, some people will get through the whole thing and some people will look at the first page and, you know, click, maybe click on a video and, and hear about an individual and how we've been able to partner with them through an organization that we, that we give money to uh, in a really powerful way. It's a beautiful report and beautifully designed. I think it's, it's easy to read and you can jump to various sections. So again, I want to encourage our listeners uh, to take a look at it because I think it's, you know, it's gold standard. So, so congratulations to you, Amy. Why is Tom's called Tom's? Oh, it's such a great question. <laughs> like well, everybody calls Blake Tom. So I'm sure he, he's over that. And he does answer to Tom. He will answer to that. Um, but our founder's name is Blake. Uh, and when he was designing the the shoes and the experience and thinking through what he wanted the company to be called, he really he he named it Tomorrow's Shoes. Um, and so that was a little too long to put on the back of a shoe or to, you know, meaningfully bake it into the design. So we cut it back to Tom's. And so it stands for Tomorrow's Shoes. uh, And his name is not Tom. And that's the origin story of our name. (laughs) I I love that. So does that have any link to your now movement from one to one to Stand for Tomorrow? And can you discuss a little bit more about Stand for Tomorrow, the grants programs? I know you said they're very localized, but, you know, give us some more um, depth in that. Stand for Tomorrow is is a tagline of sorts that, but also kind of a North Star for us in that, you know, we are all thinking about a better tomorrow. It is a nod to our origin story of of Tom's and and the name of the company, uh, and so we as talked about like the world around us is changing, and we are so aware of that, and we know that we want to change with it. And so standing for tomorrow, standing for a better tomorrow together, uh, really making sure that we're all thinking about how we can contribute to a better tomorrow is something that's super important to us. And so um, as we are evolving and as we are taking on this journey you know, the evolution of our communications and something we were just talking about a minute ago, the, the, with the consumer expectation being high and the issues facing our communities being more complex than ever, we really felt like 
standing for tomorrow or stand for tomorrow is, is a way for us to communicate what we're trying to do. But again, to your point, it is much harder to communicate you know, all the things you're doing than one for one. It, it's taken us some time to build this out and to, to work on this communication. But, you know, instead of talking about one for one, uh, we are now saying for every $3 we make, we give $1 mm-hmm. away. Think about, you know, 1% for the planet and some of these other initiatives that are incredible. Um, mm-hmm. We believe that we're giving at an unprecedented level across the organization and, and across the marketplace. And you, and you are, um, who do you, I'm curious, who do you admire? I mean, you know, when, when I go to conferences and we're, we're working with clients and we say, okay, who do you want us to benchmark? Tom's, 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 Tom's. Who do you admire? Well, you know, there's a, a couple different ways to put that. Um, who, who do I follow and, and who am I paying attention to? I really am interested in what OpenIDO is doing. They're doing some really mm-hmm. cool stuff. I also think, you know, we became a B Corp certified organization last year. And I feel like the local B Corp groups, we hosted one here a few months ago here at our, at our LA headquarters. And to bring that community of leaders together in formal and informal conversation is a real, it's just, it was so powerful, such a great tool for us. And and we learned so much from it. And I think we were able to contribute to it. So, you know, getting involved locally has been great for us. This is not a plug, I swear, but the purpose report that you all did with Porter Novelli has been a go-to for me for a very long time. I continue to use it. You know, you guys are doing new ones each year. Brands taking a stand from Edelman. These are really kind of the fundamentals that um, powerfully tell people what's going on uh, in this purpose space and how it's really playing out. So those are a handful of kind of like the who I'm following. From an, from an admiration standpoint, you know, I certainly admire Blake and what he's been able to do and what he's launched mm-hmm. as a one-for-one leader. Um, but I sometimes feel like these some of these unsung heroes are uh, some of the most compelling uh, purpose-driven people I have the opportunity to meet. So if you'll just let, entertain me for a second while I tell this little story about, you know, my first giving trip to Peru. Uh, oh, sure. I'd love to hear it. I was able to go to Peru uh, it, when I first started, which was fantastic. I was able to see our shoe giving firsthand. And we it was in 2016. It was in the fall. And we were driving up to our first school and it had just rained. And many of these villages are kind of into the hillside. Uh, and so we were, we were not able to get our little bus all the way to the school. And so we had a lot of the shoes that we were going to be giving at this particular school on the bus. And so we kind of made a plan. We were going to walk the rest of the way and go back and forth and get the shoes. And down the hill come these three women and they had smiles from ear to ear and they helped us go back and forth. I don't know, five or six times getting all the shoes Mm. up to the school. And I remember just wanting to meet them and understand who are these women and what are they doing and come to find out that these women, they, they work for the, for the nonprofit organization we were supporting, but they're basically a volunteer. They have, they receive a small stipend uh, and volunteer at all these different communities, helping develop the programming by uh, integrating the shoes into those programs. They do it year round, rain or shine. And they are so committed to the power of our partnership and the power of the shoes and how they integrate into their programming and how much stronger it makes it. That these are the people that inspire me that, you know, receive very little in return for how much they're contributing to an overall cause. So mm. I know I'm supposed to give you some big name and I don't know, say, no, no. say MLK. Yeah, and yeah. I believe all those things, but I think some of these unsung heroes are really uh, to be admired. So you're talking about a walkabout. And, and what we found over doing this work for decades is that, you know, if you have a, you guys get it, but if you have a, a CEO or a senior team and they're, yeah, I don't know, this is this issue, it's too far away, I don't know. But if you take them to the ground zero, the site, and you get them to meet real people and they get their hands dirty, they get in the mud that it, it just changes, you know, you, it's authentic and it's, it's the kind of real things that people want to, to feel and see and, and be part of. 
So I, I think I think that's that's an absolutely lovely, lovely story. Um, and I encourage, again, all of our listeners to I, I know that Chris and I think think we got Chris back. Um, you know, Chris, we worked with Chris on a, on a wonderful program of a cold experience happiness for LG. And, and I think that LG, you know, they they didn't quite believe the kids were having a problem, but didn't you do some, you know, you took some of the executives, they got to talk to kids and the experts, and they realized that kids really are depressed and, ha- and need to be supported. No, that's right, Carolyn. And it, it's funny because it, it works on a human level uh, because you have to get, you know, just as Amy said before, right, you, you, the brand isn't the expert and the brand doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. understand the problem firsthand. So when you bring people together, on that human level and they can actually see what's happening in the areas where they're trying to deliver impact. It, it works for the executives. It works for employees. It works for the team. It works for their audience, right? When, when, when you think about why folks like Tom's are successful in, in social or in marketing, it, it all flows from being earnest and authentic at the core and and actually and actually trying to work to solve some of these problems. Hey, hey, Amy, let's talk a little bit about measurement. I don't think you do a lot of advertising. I think you do more about the investments and in social purpose. But I, but we're at this point in time, um, this pivot point, which is like, okay, a lot of companies, you know, the the vast majority of the bell curve companies are doing something in social purpose. But how do you break through? How do you make it real? Do you save money in advertising? Well, certainly from a, an evaluation standpoint, you know, we're, we do, we do several things. Obviously the impact report we've touched on several times, but we also do annual feedback with our partners. So again, really making sure we fully understand how are they using the shoes? What's working? How long are the shoes lasting? Like all these questions that we ask them to really understand and really make sure that we're able to um, support them in the most effective way possible. You know, the economic impact report we talked about and ensuring that we're not having an adverse effect on local communities, Uh, designing shoes and styles in partnership with our giving partners and the kids who are going to be using the shoes. Like These are all ways that we think about evaluation and impact. And we try to bring that to our customer in a way that is, you know, not dry and not sort of here's all the numbers. If somebody wants to dig in, we have we have the 80 page report that they can totally dig into. Uh, and we're always willing and excited to answer questions and and uh, ideas from our consumer base. So all those things are in place. How you break through with that, I really do believe is the storytelling. I really do okay. believe it's figuring out how you can lift up the organizations you're partnering with, the, the people that are benefiting from the work of those organizations and, and our customers, right? Our customers are doing amazing things uh, as entrepreneurs and as socially driven people, our employees, we talk about our employees a lot uh, and what, you know, their passions are around these different issue areas. So connecting the Mm. storytelling and the emotional connection of this work is hard because you you're buying a shoe, right? And so there's a distance between that and the impact people are having. And we're trying to, we're trying to close the gap on that distance between those things. Uh, and I think, you know, do we do a lot of traditional advertising? No, we don't. Um, and I think that's, that's built into the design. We think that if the, we think the customer is excited about us putting those dollars toward the impact that we're having. Yeah. I, I think I saw it in, in prepping for this, there was some analysis of like you against Nike and the amount of money they put into advertising versus the amount of money that you and yours was like point zero zero six or something of, of percent of sales, um, which is incredibly admirable. This has been really great, Amy. I, I really appreciate you taking the time with us. And, and I know that we're close to the end of the hour. So I wanted to ask you, you know, as you're evolving that story, what's what's next for Tom's? We're in this process of making this decision that we are evolving from one for one, being really clear that uh, we are in business to improve lives and that we believe in a better tomorrow, one where humanity thrives and that we are focused on kind of three issue areas going forward, physical safety, mental health, and equal access to opportunity. And those are three really compelling and exciting things. And our consumer still knows us for one for one. So it's our job now to 
educate and inspire and excite our customer about the evolution that we are embarking upon and make them be a part of it, have them feel connected to it, make sure they know none of this happens without them. And so that's the challenge in front of us. That's the work ahead. Uh, we're excited to take it on. We're working hard on some some new ways of storytelling, and and that's what's next for us. So I hope we get it right. So one one thing we always wrap with is is asking folks what their top three insights are for for their peers as they go forward to identify and activate social purpose. Uh, well, I don't know if these are insights. I always think that's such a hard question, but I'll share you how I'll share with you how I think about it. Uh, one is that this work is hard, and you know I think sometimes people say, "Oh, you have the." easiest, funnest job in the world. And you just get to give stuff away all day. And I think that's hard. I think that's hard to hear for some people who are doing heavy lifting in this world because it is really hard work. Um, I also think we need to collectively, and I try to remember this when I'm taking on something new, is I want to think about it really big. I want to start small, but I want to move fast. I put that in front of myself kind of all the time. Uh, And then I think, you know, maybe the final piece is be authentic be transparent, be, be credible and learn from others. Fabulous. That, that is, that is absolutely great. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've had a ball talking to both of you. It has been so much fun. Uh, I could, we could probably chat for another two hours. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and just say, thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little bit of Tom's journey with you. Well, we are thrilled to have you, um, Amy on the show, uh, chief giving officer of Tom's Amy Smith, I, you know, I think there are 25 pearls of wisdom in this show, at least. Um, we're going to do some show notes. We're going to share it out. Um, and it, it's just been marvelous. We can't wait to see, again, how you evolve. And I, we know that, you know, Chris and I both know that Tom's is in wonderful hands. Um, anything else, Chris, that you want to add? No, thank you so much, Amy. Really appreciate it. Uh, great show. Appreciate it. And we love to end with what we always ask our listeners. What is your purpose? 